Welcome to Beyond the Board, a podcast that explores the themes and real-life inspirations behind tabletop games. I'm Mike Greenman. And I'm Mike Sater. And on today's episode of Beyond the Board, we'll be discussing themes behind the game Love, love Letter. Aww, we love said it letter. together like we're in love. I know. Too bad it's closer to St. Patrick's Day when this episode will be coming out and not Valentine's Day. That's true, yeah. So Love Letter, uh, tell us a little bit about Love Letter. It's a great game. Uh, love Letter is a great game. Uh, uh, I got it as a gift and, and wasn't really sure what to think of it at first in, in just little velvet bag with not that many cards. 16 cards. What am I supposed to play with this? Exactly. Uh, but uh, since then, uh, my roommates and I have just been having a blast playing it. It's it's a it's a very fun, short, quick round game. It's a deduction game. So you're you're deducing based on what has been played, and ultimately you you have uh, different people from uh, like a medieval type kind of court, and each of you are trying to gain the princess's favor. And uh, it's a really small game. It's a it's an easy game to play with a bunch of people who don't usually play a lot of games, and it's easy to bring around places. And it's it's quick. It's just a, a few quick rounds of what is essentially the opposite of old maid, trying to get the highest card in your hand. Um, uh, being the princess, of course, but if the princess isn't available, you get the other cards, and each of those cards has a different ability that will make other people discard cards or knock them out of a round. So on and so forth. Yeah, it's pretty simple to understand, and it's quick. It's a quick, easy, hands-on kind of game. So today on Beyond the Board, we are going to be talking about courtship through the ages. And we've kind of separated into categories, and these categories are basically time periods in chronological order. So first, we're going to start off with uh, arranged or captured section, which is generally ancient courtship. And so in ancient times, uh, a lot of the first marriages uh, were by capture, not by choice. When there was a scarcity of women in a certain area, men raided other villages to steal the their potential wives, and then they would also have to hide out because the entire village would come looking for them. So there was an old French custom that when this uh, uh, man who had uh, captured his wife, his new wife, they would have to uh, hide from being discovered, and when the moon had gone through all phases, and then they both drank a brew based in honey called methaglin, then they would be safe, and that is uh, where we get the word honeymoon. That is the only place we get the word honeymoon. Yes, allegedly that is the only place that honeymoon comes from. So arranged marriages were generally the norm, primarily business relationships out of the desire of needing and or wanting property uh, or for monetary reasons or political alliances. Now, here's some fun, interesting things around the world in this ancient time of courtship. During the Roman festival of Lupercalia, it was during the first century, Romans would actually sacrifice a goat and a dog and then whip the women with their hides. The women actually willingly lined up, believing this would actually boost fertility. It's true. And also in fifth century Rome, in a festival honoring Juno, Roman soldiers would just draw names of eligible women from around the area to see who would be their uh, their lucky bedmate for the year. And then man would wear her name on his sleeve. It's like a key party. The Romans invented the key party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in 17th century Wales, men would create detailed hand-carved love spoons for the ladies uh, that they admired. If the woman accepted the spoon, the courtship was on. That's true. And uh, this is a little bit later, but in 18th century New England, in order for uh, uh, couples to uh, speak with each other, they would use this invention called a courting stick. 
that was a six foot long hollow tube that belled out at the ends and they would talk in it like like uh, uh, cans with a string on the end in a room full of people so that they could exchange private messages. But they would also whisper it, which is also the other weird thing. Yes, it's very strange. <laughs> There are a lot of other ancient courtship traditions, but we have a lot to get through. So we're going to kind of touch on just different things. So the next category we would go into is medieval courtship or required courtship. The code of chivalry is an important thing that acted around this time. And there's a misunderstood concept to respect the honor of women being one of the 17 tenants in the rank of your code of chivalry. Right. Interestingly, that actually ranks below to guard the honor of fellow knights. And somewhere between five and eight of those 17 tenets are actually about combat or service as a soldier rather than respect uh, for women. Which is interesting because you always think and you see this idea of the knight or the, the word chivalry being like opening doors. And it's such a romanticized thing that you don't realize that knights actually fought just a lot more than they just opened doors and threw down towels over puddles. <laughs> and a lot of that comes from the, the art at the time, this this prose, this verse narrative that was uh, very popular in the more aristocratic circles called chivalric romance or romantic literature in more of the high medieval and early modern Europe periods. And they would describe these quest-seeking, uh, adventurous, legendary knights who were portrayed having all of the heroic qualities that were listed in the, in the tenets of chivalry. But the interesting part of those stories is, of course, the romance. And that is why, uh, where we get this idea of this romantic behavior coming from this literature. I feel like that's what's going to happen years from now when people look back at our stories and our movies and they're going to be like, they were best friends. Everyone was best friends at the time. And then they fell in love. That's true. Oh. Or, and then they realized that they loved the other friend of this uh, boyfriend. It's just going to be really weird. Uh, or, you know, we're going to watch the romantic comedies, which were not that much different from these romance stories from the Middle Ages you were wooing with with flowery poetry and, and uh, serenading with lutes and uh, following lovelorn characters on stage. And now we're forming flash mobs to propose marriage. But it's the same. It's the same deal. It is this this flowery serenading. Forgot about flash mobs. Oh yeah, that no, was, that happened. That's they were a big feel, part of romantic comedies for a long yeah, time. I feel like those aren't a thing at all anymore. No, no, because it was a bad idea. <laughs> People got hurt. Uh, yeah, so chastity and honor were highly regarded virtues, and in twelve twenty eight, it is said by many women that first gained the right to propose marriage in Scotland, a legal right that then slowly spread through Europe. Another fun uh, chivalrous fact. Uh, you go ahead and say it. You found this. <laughs> sure. Uh, that uh, uh, chivalrous gentlemen in England would send a pair of gloves uh, to the women they wished to woo. And if the woman wore the gloves to church on Sunday, it signaled an acceptance of his proposal. <laughs> I can only imagine you sitting at the wrong side of church and be like, I need to see your hands. <laughs> Trying to peek around yeah. everyone in the pews. Gloves for your loves. So the next, I guess, section in timeline would be the Victorian courtship and formality. This is, this is I feel like, the most highly notable romanticized version of courtship when people think of courtship. They think of uh, Jane Austen novels and they think of that time period entirely. Uh, and I like to call this the romance period, if you will. It's true. It's, it's when uh, this idea of courting and these traditions of courting became very, very formal. And romantic love became a, a much bigger part of the equation. 
uh, rather than just having to get married because it's what you would do, you would try and find someone you were generally interested in. But you couldn't just walk up and begin a conversation with someone uh, that you wished to woo. You would have to be introduced, and then after a time, you could uh, uh, escort a a lady home and present to her a card. And at the end of uh, an evening, uh, a lady would look over all the cards she had uh, gathered and choose the card of the gentleman that she wanted to uh, escort her home. And that would give that woman that choice. It, it created this romantic kind of feeling. Uh, but once they also had the card, now they were allowed to court at the house. If, uh, if they would basically call, and this is where you have your gentleman callers, you would call upon a house and then you'd be allowed to go over and you would sit in the parlor and then you would talk with the person. And then you get to know them and, and it creates that romantic bond. But if you showed up to the house unannounced, uh, the power was with the woman to where her family could basically send you away if you weren't like worthy or if she didn't want anything to do with you. That's true, and also a, uh, uh, a very fun uh, and uh, rather disgusting uh, tradition I read about in 19th century Austria where women at balls would keep apples under their arms uh, at uh, these big balls and dances uh, and dance with their male suitors. And then once the apples were sufficiently uh, uh, drenched, uh, they would (laughs) offer them to the men they fancied at the ball. It's very gross. Did the men have to eat it? I, I don't know. I, I would hope that wasn't expected of them. What if you got so many apples and you're just like, this one's from uh, oh, Helga. This one's – wait, hold on. <laughs> God. Uh, awful. That's awful. Uh, so so this is all courting, and, and courting is different than dating. And in our next uh, – just right, right around the turn of the century, that's when dating really started happening. Uh, history shows us that dating didn't really exist before the 19th century, at least not in the United States. Back then, many marriages obviously facilitated by parents with the goal of finding their child a spouse uh, so that they could physically help in maintaining their family home or bearing children. So it was expected that the uh – Uh, Children would choose someone who would be beneficial to the family, someone who could uh, rise them in a social rank or someone who could uh, uh, guarantee a a family alliance that would be beneficial. Like Mr. Darcy. Just like Mr. Darcy. (laughs) Thomas Campbell wrote uh, around 1800 that uh, distance leads to enchantment. Um, So this was kind of a a period in time in which uh, 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 it was thought that writing letters from afar was really the way to to gain someone's heart. Yes, but uh, now things all weren't exactly so chaste, though. Some of the the premarital sex was happening. They did get into the hanky-panky. It wasn't always just like you would read in literature. But all of that was kept pretty much on the down low, and there wasn't anything written about that because they didn't want to start any scandal. Um, So the next part of our chronological journey through courtship is the 1900s, where decorum is a very strong value in in this time period. And and the first dates started happening. The term date in the context of relationships was right around the turn of the century in 1896 in a newspaper column where a, uh, a man was lamenting that his girlfriend was seeing other people and that they were filling all of his dates, as in dates on a calendar when he would get to see her. So before dating, courtships involved, obviously, people coming over to the house, sitting in the living room. They were always supervised. Uh, but now that 
you had cities and uh, bigger metropolitan areas, you had smaller buildings, and it was you would get your privacy by being away from the family and away from everybody else. Right. You no longer needed permission to speak on the porch or to go for a walk with somebody. You would just go meet them in public as a way of uh, gaining that privacy from the family. But it was so new for the public and the uh, law enforcement wasn't really sure how to take it that a young man uh, was meeting a young woman in public and he would buy her food and buy her drinks and bring her gifts. And so it looks very much like prostitution in the eyes of the authorities and women could be arrested for it. So that that being said, uh, a lot of the dating, the first dating, still kept some of that courtship in the sense of Okay, I got to go to the house. I still have to still have to meet their parents, still have to have a chaperone. And eventually it evolved into the full dating scene. It didn't just all of a sudden happen. So it was this really seriously slow, slow burn of a relationship. And now we're going to take a quick break now that we've introduced you to dating opposed to courtship. And then we're going to run through the rest of the 1900s and uh, give you a little taste of what that's like. And uh, we're going to talk now about the 1920s to the 1930s, or as I like to call it, the independence part of our timeline. Uh, So uh, the emergence of institutions like prom uh, brought a new form of dating for a lot of young adults. Uh, Finally, they were able to get out of their house and enjoy these activities with boys or girls that they liked and that they found attractive. And the first dates would usually include attending a dance like a prom or maybe there's a there's like a county dance or something uh, or maybe hitting up an amusement park where they're still very much in public and a lot of people have a lot of eyes on them and with prohibition uh, in full swing alcohol was definitely more appealing than ever that's true and uh, movies were very big uh, movie theaters were selling about 50 million tickets a week uh, in the mid decade in the 20s and that uh, uh, gave young people a, a place to go not only in public but also to sit in the dark um, and actually give them uh, some some more pri- privacy. And so movies, of course, were uh, uh, aimed towards uh, young people going out on dates. And so that was where a lot of them got their knowledge of, of love and of sex and of dating, uh, were at these movies aimed towards them. Once again, it's that pop culture that's influencing the the feeling and the act of dating, just like the romance uh, back in the medieval times. Um, so, so in this decade, you might have heard liberated women who who openly date a lot of people as flappers. Um, and they explored sexual boundaries and brought taboos like premarital sex out of the closet. Uh, interesting note about a flapper. So it comes from the term of uh, a woman's hair not being pinned up entirely like being an adult, but uh, still worn down and flapping on the back of her neck. Also from an older word meaning prostitute. That's true. So now, you know, that we're in this uh, time where the express goal of dating is not necessarily marriage, but to find a mate for whom you can have these romantic feelings. Um, 
then we have a whole new industry. Dating really took the business world by storm because there was a brand new industry of people uh, who wanted to buy gifts, they wanted to buy movie tickets, they wanted to go out, they wanted to uh, have nice cars, they wanted to uh, uh, buy all these things to uh, impress a prospective partner. Interestingly enough, this also affected uh, marriages in general and like the wedding dress and what you need for a wedding and, and the just supplies you need like the white wedding dress started with god i wish i had this note i don't have it but there was one queen who wore a white wedding dress uh prince albert who married prince albert Uh, billy idol victoria no that's white wedding no i don't remember (laughs) uh close close it was billy idol looked like billy idol in a white dress no hold on uh but the white dress was worn then other like before that uh women would just wear any sort of dress for their wedding, but that white dress became so iconic, and so it became a thing in department stores or in these wedding boutique shops that they started creating all these elegant white dresses with lace on them because that's what they saw, and it just became a regular thing, and that really hasn't gone out of style. And those department stores were bringing people, even if you had humble means, it was bringing you into uh, contact with people of wealth. And the uh, shop girl selling fashion uh, was learning to imitate these rich buyers that would come in. And uh, labels would come along that would make anyone seem like they were a person of means. So it's almost as if, uh, uh, like uh, Weigel says, uh, driven by anxiety as much as romantic ambition. The desire to, to seem like you were of means and therefore a good prospective partner for another person. So that's a quick rundown on 1920s and 1930s. Their next little section, uh, next decade, because it it progressed so fast. But our next decade is the 1940s to the 50s, and I like to call that the security decade. That's true. Uh, During World War II, uh, finding uh, men for dates might uh, be very difficult because they had been drafted. So it was uh, very important for women to uh, obtain some sort of uh, promise or lock down, as they say, a relationship uh, that would continue until that man came back from the war. So this is when you get the term going steady. Yeah, and so you would get like the letterman jacket or you would get the class ring or they actually had fraternity pins that people would, uh, I mean, they would, the, a man would give a, a girl his fraternity pin, she would wear that. Now, adults at the time wouldn't use this kind of courtship. This is all very much young people. And we're in uh, we're in a time period where it is still a lot of young people going out, uh, and dates would often happen among friends and still in public places, m- much like you know, Danny and Sandy in Greece, or or these kind of iconic fifties ideas of of. Uh, Tell me more. Tell me more. Like, <laughs> does he have a car? <laughs> Uh, these uh, these iconic ideas of, of young people and, and, and young summer love. And there was a lot of trial and error with dating. The first date fell flat, then another first date was right around the corner. And this was just like you were saying back early 1900s, keeping those dates filled. You were playing the field. And it was still expected in in, in this time in American history. We should note that uh, what we're talking about now is uh, uh, primarily American history in the century. Mm-hmm. Um, that it was still very much expected for young women to get married. They called it earning your MRS degree. Very clever. Yes. So our next decade is the Freedom Decade, which is the 1960s to the 1970s. Interestingly enough, the hippies kind of were late to the idea of free love. 
uh, with the rise of Marxism and feminism in the 1800s uh, came the belief that was held by some activists that marriage itself was sexual slavery. So uh, Victoria, <laughs> yes, someone's going to get laid in college. Uh, Victoria Woodhull was the first woman to run for president of the United States, and she described herself as a free lover with the inalienable right to love whomever she chose and whenever she chose and for however long she chose. And with that right, neither you nor any law you can frame have any right to interfere. And starting in the 60s and 70s, free love was on the dating menu. Premarital sex became increasingly mainstream, uh, replacing the pre-existing dating etiquette with a freer, less restrictive norm. It was in 1962 that Helen Gurley Brown published Sex and the Single Girl. I'm such a carry. <laughs> Uh, and that, that laid out uh, for what would become eventually Cosmopolitan magazine that we know today. Um, you know, 20 or what's it, five sex moves that will blow his mind? Yeah, yeah, every yeah. time. Every time I read it. <laughs> every time I see a new Cosmo. They're always new. It still doesn't change my love life, though. <laughs> uh, so in, it, in, in, that, uh, in Sex and the Single Girl, she wrote, An affair can last from one night to forever, which is a pretty clear sign that dating and sex could now go hand in hand. We're also looking at the advent of things like birth control and legal abortion and this big sweeping rise of feminism in the United States that gave experimentation a new meaning and, and the getting to know you process and the first dates started became a thing of the past. Also, the the warnings around this time of the, fir, of the so-called biological clock uh, that gained traction as a major major source of anxiety for women. So they were almost pressured to keep going on dates and keep meeting people. And, and even though it wasn't as structured as it used to be, they were still talking to a lot of people, dating a lot of people. Well, and the, the term biological clock that they were using in the 1970s was based on these birth records uh, from 1670 to 1830. So it's really a, a very flawed system that uh, was kind of in, in a direct connection to the sexism in the workplace where they were encouraging women not to join the workforce so that they would have time to have children and telling them they would regret not having children by the time they would go through menopause, which was, of course, much later in life. So our next section would be the 1990s. Uh, most likely, if you're listening to this, you probably... Saw a few of the 90s. Saw a few of the 90s, or at least have seen a few of the 90s on TV. And in the 80s and 90s, we get the term hooking up, which was referring to no strings attached sex. And, you know, it still does mean to go out and fit into the social scene and to get attention from young men and, and learn about sexuality. This, this uh, new hanging out, hooking up, getting together. Uh, so there, it started this confusion, really, about what, what it means to be a date and the classic uh, sitcom and, and romantic comedy trope of, I can't tell whether that was a date or not. <laughs> and then, like, having to clarify it. And we're like, this is, was this, is this a date? It's something I didn't realize, and I was just looking up. I was like, where did hooking up come from? But it totally makes sense. It's just hooking up or... Connection. It means connection, like w referencing, like establishing with a link of radio sets. It's 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 that meeting up kind of thing. Uh, yeah, and also uh, probably in reference to knitting with with needles mm -hmm. and hooks, where you would uh, hook up to uh, loops of yarn. So that brings us to today, the 2000s to 2019s, and and dating nowadays is very very different. But we're gonna break away from America just for a little bit. 
yeah, I wanted to talk about some uh, some other cultures in the world that that recognize uh, these ideas of of dating and matrimony, especially as uh, the ties that bind us. And in uh, many African cultures, long grasses are braided together and used to tie the hands of the groom and bride together to symbolize a union. Or in uh, uh, the Hindu Vedic wedding tradition, delicate twine is used to tie the bride's hand uh, to the groom's hand. Um, and in Mexico, there is a, 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 a traditional practice of having ceremonial rope loosely placed around both the necks of the bride and the groom to bind them together. It's uh, Alex, my wife, actually just saw that not too long ago at... Uh at our church. Sure. Yeah, which is, yeah, it's like, there's like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> um, and there is uh, something I really like about that, this kind of uh, 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 fantastical and romantic uh, idea of symbolism uh, that you can act out during these ceremonies. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see that actually also in a lot of uh, fantasy as well. If you watch uh, maybe Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. uh, if you remember the... Uh, the, the famous and, and ill-fated wedding uh, in which they had their hands tied one over the other. Spoiler um, alert. Sorry, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so it's very, like, e- even nowadays, we do have that romantic idea in the world. But we also have the dating culture in America and in a lot of other places in the world that is, like, tender, that 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 easy... Face value, swipe left, right kind of thing. I don't know. I've, I'm a serial monogamist. I have no idea. What have you ever had would. Tinder, Mike? I've never had Tinder, no. <laughs> so I don't. I don't understand it. Sure. I uh, I had I had a dating app or two uh, 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 recently. I don't I don't connect with them uh, very much. It 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 takes a lot more energy for me than I think it is uh, supposed to take. Where you just go through and swipe, and it's a numbers game. Um, and it's not that's not really my uh, my cup of tea either. There's a wonderful Black Mirror episode that uh, I'll mention in continued learning. Uh, so which is I guess we're at that point. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, here we are. So continued learning. Black Mirror, there's an episode and I'm going to ha- I'll put it in the notes or I'll figure out what the name of it is. But it's have you seen? Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay, it's it's a great episode where where these people are in this area, like this compound, and they're they're. It's rec- called Hang the DJ. Is that what it's called? It, that's oh, what it's called. Nice. Yeah, where where they're where they're trying to uh, find their true love, and they say your your true love will be here, and they're in this they're in this compound, and they keep having to try and date a bunch of different people, so that the computer can learn about their personality and I and match them to their ideal partner. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out. At the end of it, spoilers, if you don't want to hear it, turn it off. But you found out that these people are actually in a simulation, a computer simulation as it is. Based on what it knows about you, it puts you in this computer simulation and it sees how many times you two are compatible and get together, which is it's so good. It's so good. Just it's a really it. wonderful and one of the only happy uh, Black Mirror oh, episodes. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, continued learning. Uh, yeah, if you wanted to start uh, towards the beginning, you could uh, read things like Le Mort d'Arthur, uh, which is the uh, the uh, French compendium of all of the uh, 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 King Arthur legends. Uh, if you wanted to learn more about that that chivalry code and the knights, um, the uh, chivalrous code we were talking about came from an uh, epic poem written in 1099 called The Song of Sir Roland. Uh, another thing on a dumber scale, you could go watch a movie called Down With Love with uh, Ewan McGregor and Renee Zellweger. Sure, and you could watch Bridget Jones's Diary. 
Also another one. Pretty much any romantic comedy. Is that one about the holiday with Cameron Diaz and, I, and Jack Black? I think it was called The Holiday. Uh, it might be it. That might be it. Yeah, you could watch that. So you could find out a bunch of different resources to to learn more about chivalry and uh, the code of dating and courtship. There's plenty of things that you can watch or read uh, to learn more about the code of chivalry and or uh, courting uh, and dating. But I think that's it. Do you have anything else? That's it for me. Well, since you don't got anything else, and I don't got anything else, uh, if you all like what we did here, go ahead and subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, but also write a review. That really helps us out. It helps the podcast out. It's not for our ego. It's really just for business. So go ahead and write a review. Leave five stars. Write something. It could be anything. Even if you just say, hi, guys. But yeah, please do that. It gets a, it gets our name out there. Um, if you want to send us an email and you have any questions, go ahead and email B beyondtheboardpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me at whizbotgames.com or you can find me on Instagram at whizbotgames. Personal one is at two pancakes. You can always find me there. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram at psychmater uh, or always uh, on Facebook like like most of the, uh, the world. You can probably just buy the information that I put there. <laughs> and uh, thank you again to the Nerdalogs for hosting us on their podcast network. And from beyond the board, we're, we're Mike, Mike. And we're, we're swiping, swiping right, right on you. you. This podcast has been produced in association with the Nerdalogs. To find out more about the Nerdalogs and their shows, visit www.nerdalogs.com or facebook.com slash nerdalogs. Thanks for listening. <laughs>